to the Next Community Podcast. I am Angelo Luciani, along with John Troyer. Hey, Angelo. Hey, John. Good to have you. Uh, Laura couldn't be with us today. She's having surgery, and we uh, wish her a speedy and fast recovery and hope to have her on next week's podcast. On today's podcast, our guest is Doug Brown, founder of DABCC.com, a one-stop shop for virtualization and cloud computing news. Yeah, I've known Doug for years. Um, he's a great guy. He was uh, a Citrix SE uh, back in the day, I think uh, in the 2000s. And uh, he was first known for, he came up with something called um, Methodology in a Box uh, for Citrix Metaframe. And it was kind of one of the first examples, I think, of a technologist communicating directly to an audience of other technologists, unmediated, right, on the internet not through, you know, corporate marketing and stuff like that. So I, I see him as an early community person, uh, community planter, and an early blogger. I uh, did a lot of interesting things with the Citrix community back, you know, 15 years ago now. Early on, he launched his site, DABCC, and he, he's just continued to go from there. Yeah, we had a really great discussion on the podcast. Um, one of the things that really uh, stuck out for me was when he mentioned it's not about the desktop anymore. It's a, it's it's more about the application. That is true because now the desktop can can be almost anything. I mean, it could be it could be your iPhone, it could be your your uh, tablet. Um, so yeah, that really resonated with me. We didn't really talk about this in the podcast, but I think it's a little bit ironic that I, I think we finally are here in the year of BDI, right? The running joke of our industry for the past, you know, five or 10 years. Yeah. But, uh, it doesn't matter now. It is the year of BDI and nobody cares because, uh, I now have five devices and I really don't want a Windows desktop on all five devices. I just want an app. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So with that, let's uh, jump right into the interview. Welcome to the Next Community Podcast. Today with us, we have a gentleman that's no stranger to podcasts. We have Doug Brown from DABCC.com. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is a total flip on uh, reality for me. I'm, I'm going to be a guest for once, uh, although I've been a guest a couple times. You get to hear me talk versus me ask the question, which I look forward to. Yeah, it's great. I listened to the couple shows you had with uh, Andre talking about end user computing. So it's great to have you on. Why don't you just give the audience or the listeners what you've been up to? Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've been up to the same thing for a long time, and that is sharing information. So my main goal in life has always been since January of 99 when I brought up the ABCC is to find great stuff and share it with all you guys so that you don't have to go find it yourself. And I have a cool little project in the works that I wish I could talk about. I want to go with a blast. So, uh, you know, that'll be a couple weeks from now. But otherwise, uh, just doing the same old, same old, loving this industry. What changes, you know, and I guess we'll talk about those. I think over the course of time, it's hard not to do a search online and, and hit the website. Do you actually read all those articles? Because there's a ton of information on there. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I always say I read more uh, articles than probably anyone else out there. I must confess I don't read them all through. Some of them I, uh, well, some of them I read the headline. It's some of them I re start reading and I get bored. And some of them I read the entire thing. So uh, it's a little bit of, of everything. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit there. I do enjoy it, though. One of the reasons having you on, I mean, you obviously kind of have your hands into all areas of virtualization and the data center. We wanted to kind of get your take on as companies shift from more traditional models and kind of go into convergence and hyperconvergence. What are you seeing out there in the real world? 
In the sense of what? Of migration or understanding or thinking about hyperconvergence? Businesses accepting the idea and then proceeding with it. I think that we're sitting in March of 2015 now. So hyperconvergence, I hate the whole year of, and, and I think we'll talk about the year of later on. I threw out something about, or maybe it was Steve Kaplan that threw out the year of hyperconvergence. And I think that in many ways, 2014 was that, where people were starting to, to understand the benefits of it, right? Where before it was this sort of magical thing out there that, you know, just like anything that people don't necessarily understand or get. Right. It was it's truly a disruptive technology. In fact, when Steve first uh, Steve Kaplan first introduced me to it about three years ago, I looked at it and said, well, I don't get it. And now I, I'm on board as, as much as anybody. So I think that that's what we're seeing is this understanding of it. And then how can we fit this in? And we're seeing that both from the enterprise and we're definitely seeing that from the vendor community out there, right? You're, you're seeing everybody jump on board where at first they're like, oh, yeah, hypergrid, whatever, right? Now you see Citrix doing something. VMware has their Evo Rail, NetApp. Every time I turn around, it's somebody else jumping on board. People are, are starting to get the idea and, and the benefits of that idea, which are great. I think I would spend a lot of time early on, like two years ago, kind of every time, every meeting going, storage, compute, hypervisor, like, and just keep on banging that drum. But yeah, now you're kind of going up the stack and you get to talk about other things, which is totally great. It's it's amazing. I was in, um, when was this? It was November. I was in Sweden. And I chatted because I, I love what you guys do. I love the idea of hyperconvergence. And I think it's about time that we do this with the data center, right? Everything else is changing. Let's change our hardware also. Let's change how we do build and architect data centers. And I was blown away. And I had heard this prior that the Nordics did not necessarily understand or, or get this yet, which surprised me because they're usually way ahead of the curve on anything, especially technology. But it was still an education piece. And, and once you do educate them on it or anyone on it, they, they're just like, wait a second, you can actually do this. And it's like, yes, it's here today. There's still education needed in the market. You know, you guys have done a great job. And what's neat is the technology works. The Nordics piece is interesting because it's a good segue into the next topic. Because if I ever go to a Citrix Synergy event, there's quite the wealth of Nordics at those events. They're very into desktop virtualization. What do you see as major differences as architecting a virtual desktop solution now, maybe versus 10 years ago? Oh, well, that's huge. You know, uh, 10 years ago, the world was completely different than it is today, right? In fact, I'm 44 years old. If you look at my life in IT, when I started, there was no such thing as a PC. My father was a mainframe guy and he gave me a TRS-80 Model 1 in 1977, right? So PC hadn't even been born by then. I've had the privilege and luxury of watching this entire industry grow. And and I jumped into it as a profession in the mid-90s and started with Citrix in in early, uh, well, started playing with Citrix technology, deploying Citrix technology. Technologies mid 90s and then working for Citrix. And I left Citrix about 11 years ago. So your question is 10 years ago. So 10, 11 years ago, Citrix had one product. It was called MetaFrame and they deployed, it was server based computing, right? The whole world has changed. Back then you had just a desktop and maybe uh, some sort of device that you could hit mobile or wirelessly. CDPD had come out, CDMA had come out. But for the most part, the IT owned the data or owned the desktop, IT owned the user. The user was given a laptop, right? The Mac, Apple was nowhere to be found 10 years ago, you know, and today Apple rules the roost, you know. Today we see iPhones and iPads and, I mean, it's it's such a night and day difference. 
that when you look at architecting a desktop, it's not about the desktop anymore. It's truly about the application. And the desktop is just sort of, what is the desktop? Is it a iPhone? Is it a PC? Everything has truly changed, which has changed um, architect solutions. And now you also have wearables on the next wave. I and mean, how is that going to play out? Uh, that's that's a whole different thing, you know. Uh, well, first of all, is you know how how do these wearables actually interact with our data center, right, or with our environments? Are they just pulling information, or are they pushing information? When you start pushing information, that's when we start running into issues with security and things like that. So yeah, I mean that's that's a whole a whole new world. Everything has changed, and uh, like I said, it's about the application nowadays. Be that a mobile app or a desktop app, it's about the user. And the user has really defined that, the whole idea of consumerization of IT, right? Where 10 years ago, you talk about consumerization of IT and people laugh at you. Now, we're in control, not the end users. Uh, and and that, that's the biggest shift that I've seen in the past 10 years. Well, Doug, do you think it's safe to say that 10 years ago, deploying desktops or virtual desktops or even, even server-based computing was kind of tricky, kind of expensive, dependent on protocols and connectivity and a little bit you had to have a very definite use case and reason to be doing it and now 10 years later i'd say a lot of those risks have been reduced completely completely back then bandwidth was an issue although that was one of the benefits too right you know you could deploy citrix on top of a 14.4 modem you know, it worked just great. And uh, I wouldn't say it worked great, but it worked a heck of a lot better than any other option you had for remote work. And that's what it was back then. It was remote work. So, yeah, because of the changes in, in technology, uh, like you mentioned, everything, you know, that definitely helps us. It reduces the cost and things like hyperconvergence is huge. And we can get into that, how that fits into VDI. We can give a better user experience than we could 10 years ago. And if you ask me why has anything ever failed or why has there been a negative um, uh, opinion of maybe remoting type of technologies, it's, it comes from the user. It's that user experience. And, and over the 10 years, because of bandwidth, because of technology from uh, data center hardware to software to just the remoting technology, Citrix, VMware, Microsoft, Dell, what have you, it's all you know 10 years better. I think you server-based computing guys versus the server folks. The server-based computing people coming from Citrix – I think we're always better at putting the user first. We had no choice. You got the complaints. The VMware people got to sit in the data center and be a little bit smug, (laughs) but you all all were on the front lines. Yeah, we had no choice. Back then, you, you hear the word Citrix sucks. Right. That's and you still hear it today. Citrix sucks or, or VMware sucks. Let's say if it's VD, uh, if it's VMware Horizon View, right? And and why? Because the name. In fact, we always joked when I was at Citrix is take the name off the splash screen. You know, put Microsoft there, right? Take the name off the splash screen because I, I used my mother as an analogy in all those years because she worked for Wells Fargo and was a Citrix user. And she had really had no clue what Citrix was until I told her I was leaving Iowa to move to California. And then she figured it out real quick that I have Citrix running on my machine, right? She goes, oh, that's the stuff that always gives me trouble. And it's like, no, it, is, it has nothing to do with Citrix. But uh, you put the name there and, and uh, yeah, we, we were definitely forced to deal with the end user because the desktop is about the end user. What's interesting is in the data center, we always lived in the, uh, you know, the server guys, they live in the data center. They don't deal with end users. They don't deal with it. They deal with storage and routers and switches and, and everything that communicates with itself, right? You truly live in a closet. The uh, desktop people, they live on the front edge. And when we move the desktop to the back end, now we bring that front edge into the back end. So um, you can ignore them, but they just get louder and louder. 
I think anything where the the desktop is touching becomes the entry point of yelling. I guess. Yeah. Um, it. Uh, yeah. I think we're from like a hyperconvergence and. You know what's changed from a desktop perspective, and not just in hyperconvergence, but I think uh, hyperconvergence has a great play in it. it. From an architecture perspective, you can pretty much have no knowledge and get a fairly good system up and running um, because of it. I think the the level of architecture or the the architects needed um, has really reduced from my standpoint. Anyway, I think five years ago I had drives and drives, hard drives piled up doing desktops. You know, performance, I had a uh, whiptail device in the mix, all sorts of different stuff. And you had to really get everything lined up and OS over here, apps over here. And it was just kind of a, a mess. But I think it's, it's just a lot simpler now. Hyperconvergence is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It really is. You know, I, I watched a, a great video from the Nutanix CEO talking about the iPhone analogy of, uh, of and compare that to hyperconvergence in, in the data center, right? Where he's looking at, you know, before we had all these different devices and we had to manage all these devices, we had to bring all these devices with us. And in return, there was a lot of cost and everything else and user experience because you're flipping between devices or what have you, right? Maybe they don't all work together. Now with hyperconvergence within the data center, we're able to take all these different pieces storage in the server and bring those together and when we bring those together we're able to drive down costs give better scalability better performance and usability from the administrator side and the end user side right because we can get better desktop performance if it's vdi for example and it just makes a lot of sense it truly truly makes a lot of sense and especially as we move into the software defined space and everything is turned into software right and that's what he was talking about with the iphone is no longer is the mp3 player a piece of hardware it's not just a piece of software that sits on top of your phone, right? No longer is anything we do in this world of IT today a piece of hardware. It's all been moved into software. And then we can put that on a hyper-converged infrastructure and scale it up, move it around as we need it, right? It's all about data. Since it's become pretty simple to deploy virtual desktops out, do you think desktops as a service will take off um, now that the, the level of expertise is, is lessened in-house that's needed to do it? Or do you still think there's a strong play there? I'm not a huge fan of desktop as a service. I think that DAS is great for use cases, right? We have to look at the use cases for anything, especially in today's world because we are such a specialized world and there are so many technologies out there that can fit in the right situation, right? So DAS is great for the lawyers, for the uh, doctors, for the, uh, you know, those small houses, small financial brokers and things like that. Guys that their server sitting in the closet, the server sitting in the back of the CEO's office, humming away. Those, that's where DAS is great. But the problem with DAS is... DAS has to, the desktop has to be where the application is. That's what was beautiful about server-based computing was we were taking the desktop or we were taking the app and we were putting it where the data was. So in return back in, you know, 1996, we were able to give you a PDF extremely fast where the Cisco VPN back in those days, go get yourself two cups of coffee and then your PDF will be down, right? And uh, not one cup of coffee, two cups of coffee. Uh, nowadays, or you know, with server-based computing, with the ideas remoting, that stuff's instantaneous, and that's huge. So until we can move that data to where the application is, to where the desktop is, right? That's when we can win with a solution like DAS. And the smaller guys can do that because they don't need their data sitting in the back of the CEO's office or in a closet. They don't even need that hardware. Put the hardware up in the cloud. Utilize that capabilities. The enterprise, that's a heck of a lot more difficult. 
for regulations, security, and everything, right? It's a heck of a lot more difficult. So uh, DAS will be an interesting one to watch. I think it'll sort of be a lot like VDI. Amazon's kind of the, the poster child for everything related to cloud. And like you mentioned, you have to get your apps there. And that also kind of made me think about in the recent news, there was in a CRN article, Terry Dicci was mentioned of having to uh, let some people off and should they get bought? What's your thoughts on if they were to get snagged up by maybe potentially someone like Amazon who is using their technology? That's great. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about you know the, the, what, what's happening in the 3D graphic space. What's happening in the protocol space to me is phenomenal because I've been doing this so long that I think about the early days as my benchmark. That's what I know as reality. And then you look at something, you know, ten years later, fifteen years later, what we can do still blows my mind to see these 3D graphics. Uh, it just blows my mind that we can do this across the wire, right? So something like. Uh, enhancements like that going into the hands of Amazon or VMware is, is huge because that's only going to extend their platforms and make it more usability better for the end user. It does take it off the market for everyone else, but I think nowadays what we're seeing is that the vendors, the Citrix, VMwares, Microsofts are, are all picking up those, those technologies and embedding them in. So it's just sort of part of the solution now. It's not an add-on per se. Yeah, the, the remoting protocol game is fairly tight, you know, looking in, not knowing obviously all of the things from RDP and, and ICA, but they definitely have a, it's amazing, like you mentioned, having, you know, online gaming is doable. You kind of go back to the MetaFrame days and you're happy to get Windows working. So, yeah. And, and to that point too, all of the applications are now have some type of graphics offload, even Office 2013. If you don't have some type of GPU, you're looking at quite a CPU hit to uh, deliver your desktop. So, yeah. You got it. It's a graphical world we live in, right? You can blame that on Steve Jobs, I guess. <laughs> hey, Doug, you see a lot of news going past your desk. And we were kind of hit on it here. We're talking about GPUs. Sometimes people think of remote, you know, SBC, remote desktop computing, as the protocol and the broker. And so you just tend to think of, okay, it's Citrix and VMware. Actually, last week, we ended up talking about Dell uh, vWorkspace a lot. Yep. Yep. Uh, because uh, our guests really like that. Are there any other pieces of technology or companies that you think are hot right now? Oh, well, that's a loaded question. Um, it, yeah, the VWork, you can't forget VWorkspace. You know, everyone always talks about Citrix and, and VMware, right? They're the 10,000-pound gorillas. But uh, Microsoft uh, Remote Desktop Services is... is uh, oh, I uh, forgot about Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, you can't forget about those guys, too. That and VWorkspace are very, very plausible solutions, right? They they work. And in today's world, like you said, the protocols are, you know, they're negligible. I mean, the, the differences are few and far between, right? You can do what you need to do. It comes down to these niche little things for the enterprise, right? Maybe Citrix Zen Desktop offers something that, you know, you might need because you're an enterprise and you have this one little neat, you know, use case, right? But for the most part, Microsoft V Workspace, uh, VMware Horizon View, uh, work in, and, and Citrix work in every situation. Uh, are there technologies out there that are neat? Absolutely. I, I'm really interested in the big data play out there and what we can do with big data, right, from a performance monitoring perspective. Uh, that really interests me because we can take all this data and we're collecting all this data, right? And, uh, and then what can we glean from this? Analytics and math is a beautiful thing. You know, and what can we get from this and how can we use that to make our environments and in return our users more productive? And uh, and we're seeing that evolution or revolution happening right now, which is really, really interesting to I, me. I 
totally expected you to say something like GPUs or profile management or something like that. I did not think out of the box. I love that answer. Yeah, big data, big data. Well, profile to me, you know, I mean, the profile stuff is amazing. The the quest for a single image is really on my mind a lot too. Uh, that's really what we need. You know, in the early days, we can get away with. Uh, two experiences. And that's one of my problems with VDI or desktop as a service is I already have a desktop. I don't need another, right? And I fought that battle in the trenches trying to explain to end users, no, this is a different desktop than this. They didn't understand that, right? And you sit there and you talk to them for 10 minutes. No, no, this is running here and you're just want to pull your hair out. So, you know, the technology around single image management, you know, from what VMware is doing with the app volumes, the cloud volumes acquisition, to FS Logics, to uh, Liquidware Labs, um, you know, what have you, that, that space is definitely interesting to me. AppSense, our res software, the automation res software is doing phenomenal, just phenomenal. So uh, it's all, uh, you know, that stuff is neat. But to me, that's also, uh, it's been around a long time that where the big data is. Man, that is what w- big data has the ability to change the world, right? From healthcare to IT, it's huge. I'm convinced it's just used to make me buy more things from, from Google and Amazon. But Well, you know, what's really interesting is I have two girls and they're both really big into American Girl Doll which is the biggest racket ever, but I won't digress there. <laughs> and uh, my mother and my father both received American Girl Doll catalogs. How did they receive American Girl Doll catalogs? How? They're not on any mailing list with us, you know, but somehow through big data, through, through the analytics, through connecting the dots, American Girl Doll was able to realize that Doug Brown's kids, their grandparents are these people. Let's send them catalogs because they're going to buy this stuff for the kids. Amazing! Wow, and that's big data for you from the you know shopping perspective, definitely. But that's that's the power is able to connect those dots that we're unable to connect by ourselves. You know, just just by looking at the data, which has never been the case, right? It's always you can always look at the data and see the trends, right? You can see that this is looking at an issue with a dropped connection. Oh well, this is the problem. Why can't the computer figure this out? Where now with big data, we're switching to the point where we can the computer can see things we can't see. And that's huge. That is really, really huge and exponentially huge, right? Order of magnitude, as I like to say. Powerful. Doug, is this kind of stuff, especially for quality of end user experience, uh, using big data, is that roll your own at this point or are any vendors working on interesting developments in this area? Uh, it's such a it's – a, big data is such a – you know, at its infancy. I mean, you have things like Hadoop, but Hadoop has its issues. Hadoop is is not a um, user-friendly solution, let's put it that way. It's not even an engineer-friendly solution. And that's what we're seeing with the big data now is how can we take these Hadoop type of solutions and make these usable for IT? The biggest job out there today uh, or will be in the next, you know, five, 10 years is the data scientist, right? The guy that can set up these infrastructures these, these solutions, these big data solutions, and then uh, configure them so that the companies can get the, you know, what they need out of it from customer insight to, uh, um, you know, performance analysis, right? So it's, it's very much a baby solution. Yeah, kind of, you see, you see with uh, Hortonworks having to open their books, uh, most of their revenue is taken from the, the consulting side and professional services getting them, getting those things lit up. So it'll be interesting if it gets easier. It kind of gets into a philosophy thing, though. The people that are smart enough to do it 
do they go in into other tech or where they can get paid more or do they go in like healthcare roles and I don't I think uh the evil of money usually probably wins out. So it'll be interesting where it all kind of where where it leads to. It definitely will. Big data is something to watch, but it's just another component or piece of the pie, right? So um yeah, it's neat stuff. So Doug, as we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast, you were not only a pioneer in server-based computing, you were, you were early at Citrix, but you also early jumped out to have a website and become a publisher and to become a teacher. How do you see IT professionals in 2015 and going forward uh, learning and developing their careers and learning about both about products and practices the week as we're taping this? We just heard that GigaOM shut down. I saw that. One of the nicer tech media sites. We certainly know that tech media in general over the last 10 years has been challenged. The analyst industry has changed. And then there's been this rise of people who have been blogging and you know maybe even that wave has passed. So how are you looking to, to educate IT pros and how do you see IT pros you know, just getting the information they need to survive in their careers going forward? You know, that's a really interesting question. And, and that really dates back to why I built the ABCC.com. And then the changes in that past, you know, 16 years, I built it in January 1999. And I, I stood it up for two reasons. One, I wanted to learn uh, Option Pack, a good old IIS. And two, I wanted to share information with the guys I was working with because of the fact that they were always coming to me saying, hey, do you have this CD? Hey, do you have this this document? Hey, you know where this is? Because I was the keeper of, the, of, of everything. I had the biggest bag in those days, right? And that's when you carry the bag everywhere. So there was no information. So I stood up a site to, you know, to share information. Today, it's completely 100% different, 180 degrees. Now we have too much information. Everyone's a blogger. Everyone tweets. Everyone, you know, from uh, from people, from the engineers to the companies, right? And then the companies have initiatives inside for their employees to tweet. So the amount of knowledge and the amount of data out there of potential learning is huge. Huge, right? Just phenomenally huge. How do we find it all? And I think that's uh, that's what I'm trying to work on right now is sort of like Google's here to organize the world's information. We need someone to organize the niche information, right? And that's what I'm trying to tackle right now. And hopefully you'll see something cool out of me in the next few weeks or next month probably. But uh, I think that's one of the, the biggest areas is finding the information. And um, that's always been DABCC's goal is to, you know, give you the information you need. But it's all out there. You know, uh, uh, it's all out there. Um, and there's a lot of it. Does that answer your question in a way? Sure, sure. I, I think the curation problem is the big one of our age. I don't it's, think blogging's going away, though. Yeah, I, I just, I guess for a while we thought, well, maybe blogging is going to take the place of tech media. Uh, that's certainly not the case, I guess, anymore. I do see plenty of people blogging still in our little, like you say, in our little niche, in our vertical. And uh, it certainly helps I see over and over again. It helps their careers. uh, You know, it helps them learn more. I mean, the old old saw is about you learn by teaching, you learn by doing. I mean, you learn by teaching and writing. Certainly I see that. But those who do, do, and those who can't, write. (laughs) <laughs> but no that's not always the case that's definitely not the case from the, the people I read their blog articles they could do and write 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't think tech journalism is going away. It, it, the world is changing, and they have to figure out how to make money off of it, right? And the days of the, you know, the big newsrooms are over with. It's just not the money. The, the money's not there anymore, right? And we see that all the time of the, the changing of industries. And uh, the smart guys get it, and, and they do. The big guys uh, drag their feet because they don't want to kill their cash cow, and they end up dying off, right? Barnes & Noble's no longer is not the biggest bookstore in the world Amazon is. Why? because they didn't want to kill the cash cow. So I, I see that with tech media, but you're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of very successful ones out there too. I also think the world is changing from big corporations in many space types of spaces to smaller, more niche corporations. You can see this, for example, in the magazine space, right? The magazines that are still in bookstores or the, are the niche magazines uh, and the bigger ones are dying off. There's still money to be made out there, definitely. Do you have any preference on when you're kind of picking your articles uh, versus, you know, getting something from a corporate website versus someone who's maybe classified as uh, independent? Well, I mean, I would always prefer something from, uh, you know, I prefer something well-written, right? You know, if it's a good article, it's a good article, it's a good article. If it can teach someone something or, or point them or change their mind, it's a good article. And that's that's what I, I don't care where it comes from, as long as it's something that's quality for that end user or for that, you know, that uh, the reader. Um, I do put a lot of um, creed in, in, in what vendors are doing because that's their message and we want to be – in the know of what the vendor's saying because the vendor's controlling things in many ways. You know, that we can spot what where they're going through this, right? And then we can plan for that. So there's it's important not just to read the independent stuff, but also read what the vendors are doing because they're telling us a lot. Sometimes, you know, straightforward and sometimes sort of through the cracks. So uh, um, I think you, you need to be well rounded and, and to be well rounded you want to you want a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, it's that's a good point. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us today. Before we end, maybe just you know let everyone know where they can get a hold of you. I know you've been doing a slew of podcasts around monitoring lately. Uh, let us know where we can find out what you're up to. Yeah, I'm on www.dabcc.com. You can also email me directly if you ever want to email me. I'll throw my email out there. It's everywhere. So uh, dbrown <laughs> at dabcc.com to email me directly or Twitter, Douglas A. Brown. Uh, I love tweeting. Uh, usually uh, have a good discussion or, as I like to say, let's light up Twitter and argue about something, which is always fun. And I do that at nighttime, uh, sit around in my office and, and fire up the, the, the crowd out there. Um, that's always fun. Sometimes I do, Sometimes the things I tweet, I don't actually believe. I just want to see what other people do. <laughs> it's, it, you can see, you can learn a lot from a person by poking them. How do they react? Do they believe what they're saying or are they pushing something, Right. Uh, and I'm looking for the people or I, I'm looking for the conversations where people are fanatical about it. I love a good conversation. You know, it's like the Google guys. I remember reading about the, the foundation of Google and the, when Larry and Sergey met each other, they hated each other. They argued with each other. But that created such a bond between them because they were able to communicate or they were able to grow and communicate and, and debate. And out of it came Google. And uh, that's that's what I'm really, really, really love. So. With 140 characters, it's pretty easy to get stuff go sideways on Twitter. So, oh man, and I'm so <laughs> long-winded too. It's so difficult for me. I am the I am probably the most misunderstood person you'll ever meet. I'm a very very easygoing, relaxed person, but I like to fire people up and, and then take a step back and watch. You like heard it here first. Doug likes to push buttons, folks. <laughs> well, they all know that. So. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, you know that. <laughs>
Thanks for uh, joining us today. Look forward to uh, seeing your late night, evening Twitter uh, propaganda. Um, so thanks, and uh, we'll see you online. Hey, thank you so much for, for having me on. This is fun. And, um, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, I love what you guys are doing. I, I mean, I just can't wait to, to watch and read new Nutanix news because it's this is cutting edge. And um, this is the future. It's just absolutely wonderful. So what a great time to be in IT, right? It's exciting. Definitely excited. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. Subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you're so inclined, please review or rate us on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or have a topic idea, let us know at community at Nutanix.com. I'm Angelo Luciani. And I'm John Mark Troyer. See you next time. <laughs>